Last week was Mother's Day, and um, Mother's Day that made up holiday, which has been shamelessly promoted by greeting card companies, florists, chocolatiers, and phone companies. Um, but I participate, you know, in it. It's uh, it's a good thing, I think, to remember and recognize, you know, mothers. It's a good thing. So during the sermon time, though, I did wish you Happy Mother's Day, and then we uh, went on with our series in Genesis. Well, today is another holiday. It is, I know you all are aware of, of the holiday. It's Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after Passover. Now, Passover is the Jewish, well, the, the, the Jewish time when they remembered God delivering them. Uh, Pentecost is that harvest festival. It's also called the Festival of Weeks. They, it was at the beginning of harvest where they would then uh, present to God their, their offerings, knowing trusting going forward in faith that God would continue to provide uh, for them and as Jews gathered in in Jerusalem for the celebration of this holy festival of Pentecost one of the festivals they were called back to Jerusalem for that if they were at all able to make it to Jerusalem they were supposed to be there and then it was during that time that God uh, sent the Holy Spirit in a new way among his people who believed they were there and they were sharing in this in this uh, festival those who came from many other countries heard the apostles speaking the truth of god in their own language and what a cool thing then they were all able to go back to their own countries and share that we're told in scripture many thousand came to relationship uh, with christ that day some call it the beginning of the church so uh, happy Pentecost Day to you, and we're going to continue on in our series in Genesis. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who works in miraculous ways. We know that. We see that. We overlook that. Uh, we don't always catch on to the reality of when you're working, how you're working, where you're working. And we sometimes so ignorantly think we have the answer. Um, don't let us close our minds to you at any time, in any way. Now we're going to be looking into your word. We don't want to be closed to you and to your working. Your word is powerful. It's effective. You've told us that we've seen it. We ask that you would teach us and instruct us, that your spirit would minister. We sang a prayer to you, asking that you would fill us. So now work that out in the ways that we will see and uh, respond to you, that our hearts, our lives will be transformed, that where we live from, how we do life will indeed be affected and guided by you. Uh, so use this time for your glory, for your honor, and our transformation, we pray in Christ's name. Uh, amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 27 again is where we're going to start. Verse 41 is the last verse that we that we talked about last week. As we looked at it, it's where we're going to start uh, this week. So if you'll turn there, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 24. So you don't get too far, too lost in there. You don't have to go uh, too far back in it. Last week, as we were looking, we saw that Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau made decisions that ignored faith. They just flat out ignored faith, and they went on with their own ideas, pushed their own. Some, act, some of their actions and ideas actually flew right in the face of faith directly contradictory to uh, God and what he had to say. Um, it does get better, but not in today's passage. Uh, we're going to pick up with verse 41 of chapter 27, so follow along. 
says Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, your brother is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padanaram and to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to get a wife there. When he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women, so Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the sister of Naboth. Last week, when we were looking at this, we saw that Isaac, Isaac seemed to think that he was near death. We mentioned that he was at the same age his brother Ishmael had passed away at, and so he kind of thought maybe he was near death. Here you see, just like, just like Isaac, Esau, Jacob, and Rebekah also seemed to think that he was near death as well. He lived another 43 years, but apparently he looked terrible. That's the only thing, that's the only thing I could think of as I was looking at that. He must have must have not looked so good. Uh, now, the episode here starts off on a bad foot. Esau is holding a grudge, we're told, against his brother Jacob. Now, you need to realize, holding a grudge is a conscious decision that you make. It is a conscious decision you make. It is not an accidental happening. You know, you may think that it came about from an accidental happening, but you know, the reality is you make a choice here. You see, someone may have made you mad, but you choose to hold a grudge. They may have done something, you know, that, that brought up anger in you, but you choose to hold a grudge. It is not forced upon you. You choose to hold a grudge. Any grudge you're holding right now, you have chosen that. You have chosen to to hold on to that grudge. A grudge is simply anger that you allow to take up residence in you. That's how I would define it. 
It is, it is anger that you have allowed to take up residence in you, to stay with you, to hang on to you. And it, it begins to take over part of you. It begins directing your actions. It begins directing your responses in whatever and towards whomever touches that area of your anger. It doesn't even have to be the one whom you were angry, who you're angry with, who you're harboring that anger from. It doesn't even have to be that person. All that, all they, all someone else has to do is touch that area. Some of you are a little ticked off because I'm talking about grudges. Put that in your pocket and think about it. It, it, it. If anyone touches that area that we talk about with grudges, you see, it begins to, to, to taint our response. We get a little defensive. We get a little angry. We get a little perturbed because we have yielded this part of our life over to anger. Not to God, but to anger. Now, we may feel justified in our anger, and, and you very well may have been wronged. I'm not saying that, you know, that it wasn't, that it wasn't because of a wrong done to you. What I am saying is, that's not the point. The problem is we want it to be the point. The point is our response to what happened. And what we have, what we have chosen then to do, you know, with, with that anger. The bigger problem is that we've yielded part of our life to the control of rooted anger and we hold a grudge. A grudge says, I need to be in control. A grudge says that I need to seek revenge. A grudge says I need to make them pay. And you see who's in control there. A grudge leaves God out of the equation. It sets God aside And it decides that we are going to handle this in our own way and because we have a right to it. Here's the problem for us is that I make a poor decision when I stand on anger instead of on faith. A grudge sets faith aside and puts anger in the place where faith should be. And we make poor decisions when we stand on anger instead of on faith. As God's people, as God's, as those who have a relationship with Christ, those who have a relationship with Christ, God's people, what we have said to God is, I am, I am coming to you and I am giving my life to you and I want to follow you and I am going to follow you, you know, your way and I am going to be with you and I am going to be your person and you are the one who I want to control things. And what we do, what we do then is, is instead of yielding to God, we yield to something else. And when you yield to anything or anyone else, you know, it, it's idolatry. Because you have put something else in the place of God. You have put something else 
in the place that only God should have, that of controlling your life, that of giving direction to where, where you should go and what you should do. Well, what should I do? You say, well, God's pretty clear. He tells us to resolve our anger. Don't nurse it. Don't give it a home. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do you notice it does not deny the fact that anger comes along sometimes? We always think we're justified in our anger. Okay, a couple of times we think maybe we weren't. But for the most part, we think we're justified in our anger. That's another sermon. The point is, God's word is clear. You know, we are to, in our anger, don't sin. But he goes on, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve that anger is what he's saying. Resolve that anger. Some of you should be spending many sleepless nights, but that's not the case. You see, see the end of that? Don't give the devil an opportunity. Because what you do when you hold a grudge, what you do when you, when you, when you work by and respond on anger, what you do is just what it said here. You have taken that area from God and you've given it to the enemy. You've given him a foothold. You've given him space in your life that he should never have. You need to resolve that anger. You say, well, yeah, how, how, how do I do that? How do I, you know, how do I, how do I go about resolving anger? He, he's, he's told us, you know, that, that, that we, it's something we, we certainly need to, we certainly need to be in prayer about. We certainly need to be able to give it to God. One of the things he tells us to do, you know, is to, he says, cast all your anxiety on me because why? Well, I care for you. Knowing God cares for us and we can take anything to him. Does that mean that, that the anger, that, that, does that mean that the issue is going to be gone? Maybe not. But what can be gone is your anger. Anger is a chosen response. It's a chosen response. No, no, it isn't. You know, they made me. No, they didn't make you angry. They may have done something dumb. They may have done something offensive. They may have done something horribly rude. They may have done something wrong. They may have sinned. But how you respond to that is your choice. The anger may come up and resolve that anger. Don't, don't, just like it says, don't, I'm pointing to a monitor. You know, some of you wonder what I'm doing here. I'm looking, I'm, I'm seeing this over here. You know, don't give the, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him an opportunity to have control of any part of your life. Don't do that. Esau here, he was obviously affected. He was obviously driven by his anger. And it showed others knew about it. Notice it says his mother heard about this. How did his mother hear about it? It wasn't because Esau told her. It was because others told her. How did others know? Because it was obvious. We think we hide this stuff. You know, we, we think we can keep it hidden. When we invite Anger, when we invite, you know, or, or allow anger to take up residence within us, it will show. What's in you shows. Jesus made this very clear. He said, you know, Jesus says here in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
From within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these, he says, things come from within and defile a person. What do you allow to take up residence within you? If it's anger, it will show through. You know, others know about your grudge. You can't keep it hidden very well because you have given control of part of your life over to the enemy. You have given control of part of your life over to anger. And you have let that anger be what controls you. So the person you say, I'm not going to do this or that because of them, you know, they're controlling you. They're the ones pulling your strings now because you allow it. Your anger causes others to avoid you. Notice Rebecca here in verse 45, you know, she tells, well, she tells her, she tells Jacob to flee, you know, because Esau is angry. Rage is the word she uses in verse 45. You know, when his rage subsides, you know, we'll call you back. Just go for a few days. That was interesting. She says, just go for... Angry people have fewer deep relationships because others avoid them because they don't want to experience their anger. They don't want... You know, if they see that anger, they don't want to experience that anger. Who wants that? And they have fewer deep relationships. And those deep relationships that they do have... They're not as deep as they could be because anger pushes people away. Even those who love you, even those who accept you, that anger pushes them away and keeps them further from you than they could be. And angry people are not much fun to be with. They're just not. Even those who deeply love an angry person are still reserved with them They are still reserved with them in those areas that they think will anger the other person. So even someone married to an angry person is reserved, at least in some areas, with that person because they don't want to stir up that anger. So the deep relationship that could be there, that should be there, isn't there. Because it's like gas on a fire sometimes, and they just will avoid that so it doesn't flare up. Now, no one in this incident here in Genesis, no one is an innocent bystander. Look at them. Esau here is driven by anger. Rebecca still wants to control Jacob and Isaac. She really wants to control everything. She flat out tells, tells Jacob to listen to her. Listen to me. Now, in this case, you know, it might have been some good advice, you know, but, but, you know, she still wants to control things. But the few days when she said, you know, go for a few, after, a, after a few days when your brother's anger settles down, when his rage tempers, I'll call for you, she said. And this few days that she expected turned into 20 years. She never saw her son again. She never saw Jacob again after he leaves. 
She's trying to manipulate Isaac here to get what she wants as she's telling him she withholds some of the information so that she can get what she wants. None of these people are without blame. Jacob here, Jacob should have been listening to God instead of others. You know, he's really struggling with that one. Isaac, Isaac should have been leading his family. But he waits here until trouble comes and then he gives them some instructions that he should have years ago. You see, when I begin doing things because of other people's sin, because other people's sinful response, I'm in trouble. And that's when we make poor decisions. I make poor decisions when I stand on other people's sins instead of faith. When I allow their sins rather than God's leading to be what I make a decision on, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble when it's their sin that is directing me instead of God. Rebecca here, she complains about Esau's wife. Now it's a pretty dramatic, it's a pretty dramatic complaint here. Rebecca, in, in verse 46, she says to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. <coughs> I know some people with the last name Haran. I've never met anybody with the last name Heth, Hethite. If you have, that's okay. Uh, it, it, it's irrelevant. It's just something that crossed my mind, and sometimes I blurt those out. Uh, I'm sick of these things because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? It's fairly dramatic response here. What she was doing is she was using these bad relationships as a tool to force her own will on the entire family. She's trying to force her own will on the entire family using these bad relationships. She responds to life like we too often do in the way it affects me. Everybody else is irrelevant. What goes on in life, what matters is how it affects me. You get invited to anything. The men's fishing thing. Oh, well, that's going to mean that I can only do this and that or I can only do the other thing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, something happens to, you know, something happens and you have to change your schedule. And what do we think about? Well, we think about us. We think about how it affects us. So what goes on in life, we think of, you know, through the lens of, of, of how it affects me. Because I'd prefer to do something different. And you see, we make poor decisions when we stand on our preferences instead of faith. If we stand on our preferences instead of faith, we make bad decisions. Now, Isaac responds here by giving Jacob instructions about marriage. This is interesting. He now gives Jacob instructions about marriage, which it seems he should have given to Esau, but didn't. He didn't even give, he didn't even give him here to Jacob until, you know, until Rebecca got, you know, her, her, you know, horn dented. And then, you know, she was, you know, she, it was, perhaps they could have saved themselves some agony, some strife, had they instructed Esau earlier the same way. Now, a bit of a side note here for all of you, um, the call to be unequally yoked. To avoid that is still true today. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Don't become partners with those who do not believe. 
For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What he's talking about, you don't enter into any partnership. Marriage, certainly, but any partnership. Marriage is part of that. It would be a partnership in business. It would be a partnership in anything. Why? Because you're drawn, you're, you're, your motivation is different. There's different things. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. Don't with those who do not have a relationship with Christ. Let me ask you, have you taught this to your children yet? Have you taught this to your children? This is the principle we, had, we see at work here in Genesis 28 and the instructions to Jacob. And we see the fallout in Esau's life when you violate this principle. Now, I have done many of your weddings. And if you think back, this is where we started the discussion. Your relationship with Christ. This is where we started the discussion. And I asked each one of you about your relationship with Christ. Why? Because the scripture says, don't become partners with those who do not believe. And so this is where we begin that discussion. Your, you know, the, the, your relation. Now, there's obviously, obviously, there's many more things that go into a good marriage um, because Christians do. Uh, you know, those who truly are, are Christians, they do end up with marital problems and sometimes even getting divorced. But that's because it's ba- that that divorce is based on poor decisions somewhere along the line where God was left out. You see, we begin here because that's the, that's the foundational principle that should be there for everything, that relationship with God. And when poor decisions are, are made along the line, trouble comes when God is left out of those decisions. But your relationship with God is where we start when, when, we, when I went through this marriage thing with you guys. That's where we start. You see here in chapter 28, verses 3 and 4, you see the passing on of the Abrahamic blessing there. In verse 3 it says, May God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful and multiply you, so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham, so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Now, now this is really what happens, what this is. This is this is. Uh, Isaac passing it on to his son Jacob. It isn't. It, is, it isn't God yet speaking these words to him because at this point Jacob doesn't seem real connected with God. There doesn't seem to be a connection there. Now all of this does indeed happen later after Jacob gets his relationship with God straightened out. You know, he, he, he got to the place where his relationship with God was leading him rather than what's leading him here. Here, his own selfish desires are leading him you know, and his own idea of what's good. Now, we're going to get into this more in weeks to come as that unfolds. But right here, you know, Jacob is sent away on the pretext of finding a wife among his own people. The reality of why his, why his mother was sending him away was Esau's anger. That's why she was having him leave home because their, because their, their previous conniving and leaving God out of decisions got them to this place where they continued in that foolish thing of leaving God out of their decisions. And so here he is sent back under that pretext of finding a wife. Now here's the thing, changing the physical location was not the solution. What he needed is a change of the location of where his decisions came from. 
His decisions were coming from his own thoughts and his own desires and his own preferences and his own wants. And they needed to come from God. And we're going to see, you know, in chapters to come where he kind of gets that idea a a little bit and and it grows there. But in these verses here, we then see that Esau saw and heard the blessing and the instructions that were given to Jacob. It wasn't done in secret. This wasn't done, you know, it it wasn't done in a corner. And and he sees this. Now Esau, through that, he finds out that his, his wives were not pleasing to his parents. There's a great discovery for you. You know, he finds out that his his wives were not pleasing to his parents. Verse 8 tells us, you know, it, it, it certainly makes it seem as though Isaac and Rebekah didn't give Esau any instructions at all on his wife because Esau still doesn't get it. He wants to please his parents. Now, that's not a bad thing, you know, but he wants to please his parents. But again, what he does is he takes his own ideas there and he goes to Ishmael's family. Ishmael, the one who was banished and driven away from Isaac. And what does he do? He marries yet another wife selected from people they were instructed to stay away from. People that they, that were, that were, that were separated from them. Now, pleasing his parents, again, was a good idea, but he doesn't, he follows through again with his own ideas and his own thoughts. And I make poor decisions when I stand on pleasing others instead of faith. He didn't consult God at all. It's good he wanted to please his parents, but following his own plans to make that happen was not good. All he did is make things worse. If he would have chosen to please God, he would have been on the right path to a good decision. But that wasn't his choice. Pleasing God wasn't his choice. Pleasing himself was. Pleasing his parents, he thought, was. And he completely left God out of the picture. And you see, one poor decision often leads to another poor decision and another and another and another and another and another and another. We need to break that cycle. We need to break the cycle of poor decisions. Here's the crux of the issue. I make bad decisions when I leave God out of the decision. That's what we see happening over and over and over again here. They leave God out of the decision and they make bad decisions. When you stand on something other than faith, when you make your decision, you're leaving God out of the decision and you're headed for trouble. Did you notice on each one of the points in your outline, it's that I make a bad decision when I do something instead of faith. Each one of those ends with instead of faith, instead of faith, instead of faith, because faith is what we should be making the decisions on. Faith, that relationship to God, that means I will, I trust you, I will follow you, I will allow you to direct my life, I will allow you to direct my decisions, I am given, I have given my life over to you, and it is for you that I am living. And when they, when you leave God out of that decision, you are headed for trouble. God's people make decisions based on faith in God. Yes, you look at circumstances and situations, but you will respond as God would have you to respond. Yes, we get angry, but we resolve that anger. We don't give it room in our heart. We don't allow it to take up residence within us. 
Yes, we have preferences, but we submit those preferences to God because we realize that he knows best, not just for the moment, not just for the moment, but for my entire life, he knows what's best. And so I can yield my preferences to him. Now, we want to please others, but not at the expense of ignoring or displeasing God. If you leave God out of your decisions, you will make poor decisions. If you look at each decision with eyes of faith, you know, in God and in his wisdom and in his love for you, knowing his love for you and his wisdom that he will direct you, not in faith that he will give you what you think is best. That's not, the, that's not what I'm talking about when I say faith. It's not faith that he will give you what you think is best, which is usually how we pray. You know, but what we do is we want what he knows is best. And that we make decisions based on faith. When you do that, you will avoid poor decisions. At least you'll make less of them. When you follow him in faith. Bring faith front and center in your decision making. God's people make decisions based on faith in God. Let's pray.